Let's open our Bibles to Leviticus chapters 8 and chapters 9. Uh, we won't read the whole of what these priests uh, do, but we need to point out some things about their garments. Uh, let's read verse 1 and 2, and then we'll drop down to verse 7 and 8. And then I'll pick in uh, 9, 10, 11, probably, and 12. So let's read, uh, well, let's just read verses 1 through 12. It would probably be best. And that way there's only a few verses in there that I didn't mention anyway. Let's start with verse 1. And the Lord spake unto Moses, this is chapter 8 of Leviticus. The Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Take Aaron and his sons, and... uh, with him and the garments and the anointing oil and the bullock for a sin offering and two rams and a basket of uh, unleavened bread and gather thou all the congregation together unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation and Moses did as the Lord commanded him and and the assembly was gathered together unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. Moses said unto the congregation, This is the thing which the Lord commanded to be done. And Moses brought Aaron and his sons and washed them with water. And he put upon him the coat and girdle, and girded him rather, with the girdle, and clothed him with the robe, and put the ephod upon him. And he girded him with the curious girdle of the ephod, and bound it unto him therewith. And he put uh, the breastplate upon him. Also he put in the breastplate the Urim and the Thummim. This is a couple of things mentioned or objects that were put in a little pocket on the breastplate uh, that uh, the priests used to seek the mind of God. And we're not told just exactly how it was done, by the way. We're just told that that's what it was for, and I'll give you references to show you that uh, it was as they uh, would seek counsel from God, and it seems like that God would give them counsel based upon these two objects or these objects in the breastplate. And there's very little said about defining what they are. And I've just stopped here reading to point out that there there was some things about them. Uh, there are one or more objects, and I'll just stop there for a moment before we continue reading. They were one or more objects belonging to the ephod of the high priest, put in the breastplate of judgment, so as to be on the breastplate of the high priest when he went in before the Lord. And there's references we can give you later on. Uh, Exodus 28, verse 30 is one place. The high priest learned the will of God in uh, doubtful cases. And then these had no outward manifestation, but served as a symbol. And many times in the Scripture, they're spoken of, and, and the statement is made, when they inquired of the Lord. So whether or not uh, there was something about the objects here, the, the uh, Urim and the Thummim, we don't know, but there was something special about God putting upon the mind of the of the priest after seeking his counsel, the will of God concerning 
the children of Israel concerning the people as a whole, not on individual basis. He did, these were not to deal with individuals' problems as they came, but uh, the will of God concerning the people, the whole, whole of the people. So it was not on the individual base. base. Let's drop down to verse 9. And he put the mitre upon his head, and also upon the mitre, even upon his forefront, did he put the golden plate, the holy crown, as the Lord commanded Moses. And Moses took the anointing oil, and anointed the tabernacle, and all that was therein, and sanctified them. In other words, they were uh, set apart. And he sprinkled thereof upon the altar seven times. This seven is the number of perfection. And anointed the altar and all his vessels, both of the labor and his foot, to sanctify them. Verse 12 says, And he poured uh, of the anointing oil upon Aaron's head and anointed him to sanctify him. Let's read verse 13. And Moses uh, brought Aaron's sons and put coats upon them and girded them with the girdles and put bonnets upon them as the Lord commanded Moses. Now, you can read on down uh, a lot of things about what was done and how that uh, Aaron and his sons offered for a sin offering and the details of that. And we've read a great deal of it previous to how the sin offering was offered. Let's drop down to verse uh, 23. And he slew it. This is the ram for the, uh, that he brought of consecration. And he slew it, and Moses took of the blood of it and put it upon the tip of Aaron's right ear. Now notice these places. And upon the thumb of his right hand and upon the great toe of his right foot. And he brought Aaron's sons, and Moses put of the blood upon the tip of their right ear and upon the thumbs of their right hands and upon the toes of their right feet. And you read other details about all of this that they did. But we'll just get into some uh, comments on uh, the consecration of the priests. Actually, you find in chapter 8 more of the consecration of the priest, and in chapter 9, the service of the priest. And we could read some details in chapter 9, but we won't take time to do that because it's basically uh, similar to what you find, what we've already read in, in chapter 8. But the emphasis in chapter 8 is consecration. The emphasis in chapter 9 is service. Now, verse 1 and 2 that we read, we find here divine inspiration. It's, it was what God spoke to Moses, if you notice verse 1 and 2, and His instructions to him. So, it was divinely inspired as to what was to be done. And then we find also in verses 1 and 2, a divinely chosen priesthood. God chose Aaron and his sons. And the consecration of the priest must be done by, by someone else. And we find that, of course, Moses had a hand in uh, doing this, and uh, he stood in the place of doing the work that God intended to be done concerning Aaron and his sons. <coughs> now, as far as you and I are concerned, we are to consecrate ourselves. We're believer priests in the New Testament. And there's no one's going to do that for us. So Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies. 
So, a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. We're called upon in the New Testament to present ourselves. And, of course, we mentioned that Moses had a part in consecrating Aaron, his sons. But we're individually de- dependent upon and responsible for presenting ourselves holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Romans 12, verse 1 is a good verse of Scripture for that. So when God calls men and women into His service, He abundantly supplies their needs. And by the way, notice that there was unleavened bread mentioned too. And unleavened bread speaks of that which is, uh, has no leaven in it, which uh, leavens is symbolical and typical of the sin aspect. And that's why it says unleavened bread. Now, God's people are called together in verse 3. Gather all the congregation together into the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. They're divinely called to assemble themselves together. We find the counterpart of that in the New Testament when Paul said in Hebrews, I believe it's 10 verse 25, let us not forsake the assembling of ourselves together as the matter of some is. So we're divinely called to be in an assembly. And in such an assembly, when we're assembled together, God's presence is promised. Jesus said, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. You know, sometimes we just say that, but do we realize that every time we're assembled together, the Lord's presence is more there than we most of the time realize. And I don't mean an outward manifestation of His presence. I mean according to His promise that we should be mindful of the fact that the Lord is present with us even now as we're assembled together. The Lord is here. And we need... You say, well, I can't see Him. Some people say, I can't feel Him. He, he didn't say you have to see Me or you have to feel Me or you have to know it in some way, except He promised that it, He would be there. And you know, I believe it would really humble us to realize that the Lord is present with us. If we just sit back a moment and take a deep breath and think, the Lord is here. Uh, he said in uh, Psalm 133, For there the Lord commanded a blessing. And He speaks of the fellowship of the brethren and their closeness to one another. And He says, even there the Lord commanded His blessing. The Bible says in one place, Be still and know that I am God. So, it would do us well sometimes to just sit back a moment. You know, the Quakers, remember the story about the Quakers? They just sit till they realize God's presence. Now, I'm not saying that that's the way we ought to do, but I'm just saying that there is a sense in which we need to be quiet and and understand and at least recognize the presence of God. And we do that privately in prayer. And so we ought to do it publicly as well. And I'm not suggesting changing any type of our service or anything, but just a, a personal realization of Christ's pre- promise of His presence 
with us. And so he calls them together in verse 3. And gather thou all the congregation together into the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And then as he goes on and develops these verses in Exodus chapter 8, you'll find that there's an indication that uh, they realize that, by the way, we need to realize that there's one mediator between God and me and the man Christ Jesus. And you know, in Psalm 106 verse 23, there's a Scripture that says, Therefore He said that He would destroy them. At a certain time, God would destroy Israel. Had not, it says, had not Moses, His chosen, stood before Him in the breach to turn away His wrath, lest He should destroy them. So when they had sinned terribly, well, uh, the Scripture shows us that he's, that God recognizes Moses' intercession for them. Mediatorship. And by the way, we need to recognize that it, had it not been for Jesus standing in the gap as well, where would we be today? Now then, <clears throat> the people came together at the command of God. The purpose was that the priest should be ordained in their presence. God wanted the people to recognize that uh, Moses was as much as ordaining, or God through Moses was ordaining these people, Aaron and his sons, as priests. It was their ordination. And it was done in their presence. So that the people might know the mediator. And this, these priests were a type of Christ who is our mediator. We have a great high priest. We quote Hebrews chapter 4, the last several verses. Verse 14 through on down. That we have a great high priest. Jesus, the Son of God. And it says, who was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Then it goes on to say, let us therefore, let us, let us, therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And we're encouraged to come and receive the uh, mediatorship and the priesthood of Christ as well. We have no commands of our own. We're to, we're to do what Moses did. He says, this is what God commanded. Preach God's Word. Our command is to preach the Word. Look in Psalm. Let me give you a cluster of references. Psalm 24, verse 3 and 4. Psalm 24, verse 3 and 4. Notice what it says here. Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Or who shall stand in His holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul into vanity, nor sworn deceitfully. Verse 5 says, He shall receive the blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of His salvation. <clears throat> Look in John 15 and verse 3. Jesus said, Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. So He's talking about Purity and sanctification, separation, being cleansed. In the book of uh, Ephesians, chapter 5, verse 25 and 26, it says this Husbands, 
Love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself for it. Now look at verse 26. <clears throat> that He might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the Word. Verse 27. That He might present it to Himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. That's the way that God is going to present us before Himself. That's the way we'll be presented. We have a lot of spots and wrinkles now, don't we? But He's going to cleanse us by the way He's going the washing of the water by the Word. And uh, He's not only going to do the washing, but He's going to do the ironing without spot or wrinkle when we're presented. And then, of course, in John chapter 13, if you want to turn there, this is a wonderful Scripture. And the whole passage shows us what uh, Jesus will do for us as He has done for the disciples in the day when He is upon this earth. Let me read John chapter 13, beginning with verse 1. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that His hour was come and that He should depart out of this world unto the Father, Having loved His own which were in the world, He loved them unto the end. I like that, don't you? He loved them when He was in this world, and He loved them to the end. And supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray Him, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into His hands, and that He was come from God and went to God. These statements are just really, we say, out of this world. That He was come from God and went to God. He knew He was going back to God. He rises from supper and laid aside His garments and took a towel and girded Himself. After that, He poured water into a basin. He took on the attire of a servant. He poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith He was girded. This was the duty of a servant. And so he took upon him the attire of a servant. Paul, uh, Paul mentions that in the book of Philippians. He said he took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself. But he says he became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. So he was a servant all the way. Then cometh he to Simon, Peter, and Peter saith unto him, Lord, Dost thou wash my feet? Peter felt that, you know, he certainly shouldn't do that for him. Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. This is a lesson. There was a lesson in what he was doing. Peter saith unto him, Thou shalt never wash my... Never say never. We need to learn that lesson. From the human standpoint, never say never. God can say never. God says they shall never perish. He means never. No, not at all. But when we say never, there may be possibilities that it will be different than we say never. Uh, Peter saith unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. It wasn't long right now till Peter had to change his mind. See what happened? 
Simon Peter saith in him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. I need a complete bath. Jesus saith in him, He that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet. Now, why would it be just our feet? This represents our daily walk in life. Many in those days wore sandals. And when you travel with sandals or walk with sandals, you get your feet soiled and dirty. And so he said, He that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit. And ye are clean. But he says, Not all. Now, he was referring to an individual here. They were clean every whit, but all of them were not clean. For he knew who should betray him. Therefore said he, You're not all clean. That means that Judas Iscariot was not clean. So after he had washed their feet and had taken his garments and was set down again, he said unto them, Know ye what I have done unto you? Ye call me Master and Lord. And you say, and you say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. Now, this is not an ordinance for the church, and it was not to literally be followed. But he was saying that all of you need daily cleansing, and we ought to have this attitude toward one another of humility, that we're willing to to forgive the sins of our brother on a daily basis. That we need daily cleansing individually. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done. And so, uh, many have wrongly pictured what Jesus was teaching them. But if you go back to the Old Testament, you'll find that the priest had to cleanse his hands and his feet in that labor before he went into the presence of God. And so it's symbolical of the fact that we need daily cleansing in our lives as Christians. And how do we get that? 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 1 John 1, verse 9. And that's exactly what Christians need to do. Confess on a daily basis and find cleansing on a daily basis. Psalm 51, verse 7. Psalm 51 and verse 7 says this. David said, Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. The hyssop is what was used to apply the blood of the Lamb. The cleansing was the cleansing labor that the priests were told to wash in. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. In the book of Revelation, chapter 1, look in Revelation, the first chapter. I want you to notice this. It says this in verse... uh, Five And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto Him that loved us, and He not only loved us, but He loveth us, and washed us from our sins in His own blood. 
So we have cleansing through the blood of Christ. Now then, uh, we could give you much more of the scripture, Scriptures, but I think that that uh, cluster of Scriptures I gave you, Psalm 24, 3 and 4, John 15, 3, Ephesians 5, 25 and 26, John 13, verses 1 through 10, 1 John 1, 9, and Psalm 51, verse 7. And if you're studious, you can write those down as we go along. Now, uh, it shows us that in all of it, salvation is of the Lord. And consecration is of the Lord as well. And these priests were consecrated. You and I, as individuals, not, not a preacher or a deacon, but I'm, not talk, I'm talking about as Christians on an equal basis, we're all priests in the, in the sight of God, in the family of God. And if you turn over to 1 Peter chapter 2, I've given you this time and again, but you need to be reminded. 1 Peter chapter 2, in verse 5 it says, Ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house, and he says, and holy priesthood. And holy priesthood. He was not talking to preachers here. He was not talking about deacons or individual men that were called out to be priests. He says, you're a holy priesthood. Believers. To offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. On down in verse uh, 9, he says, uh, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of Him who hath called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. So it's believers again. And when it says, show forth His praises, it doesn't mean only praises with our lips, but virtues. The things of our lives should be shown forth. And I think we've given you Hebrews 13 too. Let's turn to Hebrews 13. And we'll show you another thing that it mentions. In verse 15, it says, By Him, that is by Christ, by Jesus, by Him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise. Isn't that what Peter tells us? The sacrifice of praise. See, priests are to offer sacrifices. That's what Aaron and his sons did, right? But we'd offer this, we as believers, the sacrifice of, of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to His name. That's one thing we'd offer, sacrifice or praise or thanksgiving. But to do good and to communicate, forget not. So doing good in our lives is another sacrifice. And to communicate, this has to do with giving. Forget not. For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. We already quoted Romans chapter 12, verse 1, where it says that we're called upon. (coughs) Paul says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. We're told that... We first give ourselves. We also give our praises. And when it says, and to do good and to communicate, the word communicate there does not refer especially to talking to one another, but it's 
concerning our giving. And let me prove that to you. Look in Galatians chapter 6. And we just want to make the point that it's concerning giving. Verse, uh, chapter 6 of Galatians, verse 6. It says, Let him that is taught in the Word communicate unto him that teacheth in all good things. Communicate unto him, that means giving. That teacheth in all good things. So, the work of God is to be supported. And He's telling us here, all the way through, that there are three things. All these Scriptures we've given you show three things. We're to give ourselves, first of all. Remember, Paul spoke to the Corinthians. He says, they first gave their own selves to the Lord, and then to us by the will of God. Now then, the teaching of God's Word is that we give ourselves. That we give our lives a living sacrifice. That we give our praises. And that we give our possessions. And all of our what we are and what we have should be dedicated in a sense to God. God has given us what we have. It's holy unto the Lord. You know, the Bible says, lay up for yourselves. Have you ever heard this Scripture? Treasures where? In heaven. So if God has given us, we are to give to others. And I can say with abundant assurance that the more I give away, the more I have. The more I give to others. And I found it to be true. And therefore, I try to make it a practice to help other folks. And, and you just can't outgive God. That's one thing for sure. A church cannot outgive God in giving to our missions. And I know many of you realize this personally in your own lives. So let's make sure that we follow God's word and do what He tells us to do. And I'll, I'll tell you, it's, it's a real blessing to see that it comes back to you. It comes back to you. Now, I'm not talking about God saying that everyone that uh, that follows His Word will be rich. I'm not talking about that. He doesn't promise us riches. He promises... By the way, we have riches inside. A lot of times the blessings are on the inside, not on the outside. But it's true that God's Word teaches that if we'll follow His Word, He will prosper our lives and bless our lives. But let's not get caught up in this crowd that says, you know, everything you touch will turn to gold. That's not what God's Word promises. It doesn't promise that. The Bible says, labor with your hands, doesn't it? That you may have to give to Him that needeth. And uh, He teaches us that we need to work. And, and most of us know what that really means, too. Someone, I've heard people say, Preacher, you don't have to work for a living. Well, that's questionable. I'll put the question up there. I, I think maybe you don't know. But be that as it may, there was a time I worked three jobs to try to make a living. Thank God I just have to basically work uh, in what I do at the church now. But there have been times it wasn't that way. I can guarantee you. It was all we could do to have a meal, get enough to buy a hamburger for the kids, 
Sometimes I didn't have that much. When I was going to school down there in Fort Worth, I worked day and night, literally, and went to school full time. And there was a little old grocery store, not so little, pretty good sized grocery store over there on uh, Mansfield Highway. It's called Harris Brothers. Some of you may remember that. I don't know. Harris Brothers. And you go back to the meat market there, and he had a great big old tray about this long, yay wide, and it always was full of kind of shredded barbecue beef. Really good. And he'd take two of those little buns, put that barbecue beef on there, 10 cents. 10 cents a sandwich. And there's been many a time that that's all we could afford. But I'll tell you what, it was good stuff. It's better than most of the uh, $10 ones you get nowadays. A lot better. But he catered to people that didn't have a lot of money. And therefore, they could go in and I'd get two or three of those sandwiches and feed my wife and I and the kids. Darrell was big enough to eat a sandwich. Darlene was too little for that at that time. But And then I'd go out and pour concrete all afternoon, study all some way late in the night. Now, Bill, that was this morning I couldn't chase rabbits, was it? <laughs> Free to go now. But anyway... I'd go out there and we'd pour a foundation and see we poured the porches along with the stem of the foundation. I'd form out for the porches and steps all at the same time. They were all poured together. And uh, I'd go out there at night by the pickup lights and finish that concrete on those steps. The other part would be done, but you had to finish the front and back porch and the steps on the porch. And I'd shine the pickup lights on that and trowel them down. Then you had to edge the steps and all the work of concrete. And I'd do that. Sometimes it would be 10 o'clock. Sometimes it would be 2 o'clock in the morning. And then I had to get up at 5 and get ready to leave and then go over there to seminary from Arlington. I mean, from Fort Worth to Arlington and uh, get there and go to school. And our classes started at 7. We'd get a little breakfast in between time. And then we got out at noon and I'd start all over again. You do that three and a half years and see where you end up. I had ulcers and the doctor said, Brother Joyce, you're not going to get rid of those till you get rid of some of these jobs you're doing. But I know what it is to work. And even after I got here for many years. But when I say that, I'm not saying it in a, in a way to... Uh, to uh, try to claim that I've worked harder than anyone or anything like that. I'm just saying that I've experienced what you experienced today, many of you, and uh, maybe even a little beyond some of it. But let's get back to this. Salvation is of the Lord and consecration is of the Lord. And remember, they were chosen and ordained. These priests were chosen and ordained. Jesus said... You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. And we're believer priests today. And you know, they had their clothing cleansed. Everything about them was sanctified and separated and cleansed. And clothing clothing pictures the infinite perfection of the Lord Jesus Christ. There was blue. And this speaks of heavenly origin. 
There was white that speaks of purity. There was purple that speaks of royalty. And there was gold that speaks of deity. And the breastplate was a, a badge showing that he was to intercede for others. The priest had on this breastplate. And it shows that he was to be one that would intercede eat for others. And we've already talked about these this Urim and Thummim. These were objects by which they were able to find out God's will in matters of judgment. And I could give you many references there, but I won't take time to do that. It's, uh, it would be too lengthy to give you all, everything. You know, we don't have to tell everything we know, just part of it. And maybe you'll get the hint and go ahead and search out some of it for yourself. The mitre pictures dignity. And the golden crown pictures the righteousness and holiness of Jesus Christ. In verse 11, you have seven times it was to be done. Look at verse 11. We read that. It says, And He sprinkled thereof upon the altar seven times, and anointed the altar and all the vessels, both the labor and, the, and His foot, to sanctify them. <coughs> and so, this is the number of perfection. Seven is the number of perfection. So it was completely dedicated to God and it was completely consecrated. Now verse 12 speaks of the oil. The oil could be used to anoint no one but a prophet or a priest or king. In the Old Testament, this anointing oil, now there was other kinds of, the oil was used for other things. But... Uh, this particular oil was used to anoint uh, a prophet or a priest or a king. And in the Old Testament, you'll have uh, a prophet and a priest. You'll have a priestly prophet. You'll have a kingly priest. And so on. Like Melchizedek was a kingly priest. And David was in a different category. He was a kingly prophet. David was a prophet as well as a king. But you never have all three of the offices until you get to Jesus. And we sing a song. Crown Him, crown Him, what? And priest and king. Because He's all of it. Crown Him, crown Him. Prophet and priest and king. So in Christ, all of these offices are fulfilled. Now Aaron represents Christ. And Aaron's sons represent believers. We've already said that we are believer priests, and they were sons of Aaron, and they were priests, but they were belie- we are believer priests as Aaron's sons represent. And in uh, verse 12 also, you find substitution. Verse 17, you find that there were things without the camp. They were to burn things without the camp. The Bible says in that passage we read in Hebrews, I didn't read all of it a little bit ago in the 13th chapter, it says, let us therefore go to Him without the camp bearing His reproach. That's also in the 13th of Hebrews. And uh, so what Christ endured, we're to, we're to endure, but Christ must die. And He really died and endured the cross, despising the shame. We don't have to die in the sense that He did as a substitute, but we must endure as Christ endured. He's given us to the commission to be endurers. In verse 21, the sacrifice 
if you still have your place in Leviticus chapter 8, you have the sacrifice was completely burnt. It was a burnt sacrifice. It was completely consumed. We're to be completely consumed in the things of God. As our sins are completely gone in Christ, we're also to present ourselves as completely consumed. Man's first need was the blood and then the oil. And Christ shed His blood. Christ was anointed with the oil of gladness above His fellows. He giveth not the Spirit by measure unto Him, but He also shed His blood. And there was complete consecration. In verse 23, you remember we talked about the right ear and the thumb of the right hand and the great toe of His right foot? Complete consecration. And what does this mean? Our hearing and our doing, the hand, the hearing, the ear, and the hand, the doing, and the, the foot, going. All of this is to be consecrated unto the Lord. And you'll notice that in verse 25, the fat had to be burned completely. This has been said by many to be the highest zeal or the inmost desires of the soul. And it should be consecrated to the Lord. We sing a song, Take my life and let it be. I wonder if we really mean that. Sometimes we say, Wherever He leads, I'll go. And we'll go a couple of steps and then we're not with Him anymore, are we? But sometimes we sing songs that indicate our dedication, our consecration, that really are not fulfilled completely in us. Consecration does not mean the taking away of things, but the filling up of things, the doing of things. God had accepted what was offered in that burnt sacrifice. That's verse 28. And only through Jesus Christ can God honor our offering through Him. Verse 31 speaks of the service. And we are God's servants. In verse 32, the blessings of God are sufficient for the day. Verse 33, you'll find complete preparation and consecration and separation. Preparation, consecration, and separation. And Paul tells us to endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3 and 4. Verse 34, the same sacrifices were repeated every day for seven days. Verse 35 indicates it's a life and death matter. Look at verse 35. Therefore shall you abide at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation day and night seven days and keep the charge of the Lord. That what? That ye die not. For For so I am commanded. Moses says, this is what I'm commanded to do, that you stay there, that you die not. So it was a life or death situation, wasn't it? Verse 36, So Aaron and his sons did all things which the Lord commanded by the hand of Moses. Show your life to be and your will to be to do what God commands. And we need to do this that others might see that we do what God commands. 
Remember, Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Then they'll be willing to do what God would have them to do. And in chapter 9, we find the ministry of the priests is basically what we studied here in chapter 8, only it's service here instead of consecration. And we need to, to be obedient in all of these things. Exercise the noblest faculties, the awakening of the present delight that we enjoy, the manifestation of divine glory being in His presence, the increase in the knowledge of His will, and increase in divine likeness. And we'll find that all of these things will show us how that uh, it ends up. Let's read the last two verses of chapter 9. It says, And Moses and Aaron went into the tabernacle of the congregation and came out and blessed the people. And the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. And there came a fire out from before the Lord and consumed